Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation. Welcome to the Believe in Raiders podcast, the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Ackerman. Pleased to be joined by former Raider great Stanford Rout Stan. Can't believe football is back. Training camp is underway at the University of Houston. They get started with their first practice on Thursday. So let me ask you this. I think the biggest storyline heading into the Raiders camp is the holdout of Josh Jacobs. Agree? Disagree? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'd say that's probably the biggest storyline, probably going to be for a much part of the season as far as just how that saga is going to play out between uh, Josh Jacobs and the organization. Well, last year, the Raiders didn't offer Jacobs a contract extension, so all he did was go out and lead the NFL in rushing. The Raiders placed the franchise tag on him in the offseason, and he's yet to sign that franchise tender that would put him on the one-year franchise tag for the upcoming season. Stan, I mean... How do you see this eventually playing out? Do you see Josh Jacobs in a silver and black uniform at some point this season? Oh, well, he better be in a silver and black uniform at some point this season just because the way the rules are set up, you don't really gain much by sitting out. And when I say sitting out, I mean actually missing games. Now, if I'm Josh Jacobs, if I'm his friend, if I'm his his confidant, if I'm his homeboy, if I'm his agent, yeah, go ahead. Sit out of training camp. <laughs> like, do not show up until the day before the regular season starts and make sure that you still get your 10.1 or whatever it is, million that he's due with the franchise tender because sitting out, missing games, we saw how that played out with Le'Veon Bell. Mm. And the way that the rules are set up, you have to play on the one-year franchise tender after the July 17th deadline passes. So there is no, I'm going to sit out because I want to go and try to strong on the team and to give them me a long-term deal. The rules won't let you get a long-term deal until after the season is over with. So you have to play on the one-year deal or you just won't play at all. And I get it. He definitely deserves a hell of a lot more than just the franchise tender, but 10.1 10.1 million is still nothing to sneeze at, especially with it being in where? Nevada. There's no state income tax. It's not the same as it was back in the Bay Area in California, where state income tax is almost 13%. So that would be my advice to him. Go ahead. Don't show up all the training camp. Show up the day before the regular season starts. Maybe you play, maybe you don't. If you don't feel up to it, you know what? Say you got a hamstring. Say you got a back. But make sure that you are there, sign that tender, and you are there to get that full 10.1 some odd million. And we all know, Stan, with the new collective bargaining agreement that went in place a couple of years ago, you he's not fined for not being there because he was the franchise tag was put on him. So, hey, he's not losing any money not showing up for training camp. All right, I yeah. want to get to more of that. I have a few more questions about this running back situation and Josh Jacobs as well, but let's get our promo read in here. And Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and much more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, Stan, I want to continue this conversation now. Most running backs don't get a second contract these days. I mean, there are yeah. the exceptions like Christian McCaffrey, but most teams will move on 
from a back following their first deal. Now, the Raiders stand drafted Zamir White last year. We all know they were very high on him heading into the season, but he really couldn't get on the field because Jacobs was so good. I think he rushed for about 70 yards on maybe 15, 16 carries, whatever it was, minimal action. So, Stan, with the running back position, I think the thought process is, okay, next man up, we can always just fill in the position. How confident do you think the Raiders are, their brass? And how about you as well, Stan, that Zamir White could step in, and I know he's no Josh Jacobs, but how well do you think he could do? Because, like I said, the running back position, we look at it, okay, next man up, let's see what he can do. So, okay, so so go ahead and make sure you specify what exactly is your question that you're asking. How confident do you think the Raiders brass is, and you, Stan, that Zamir White could step in and be a productive running back if we did not see Josh Jacobs on the field in 2023? Being a productive running back or replacing Josh Jacobs? Both. I would say they feel pretty confident that he can step in and be a productive running back because, uh, he went to the University of Georgia, and uh, University of Georgia has been doing rather well over the last couple of years, uh, if I may say so. And I think that when you ask, can he replace Josh Jacobs in what he did last year, I'm not so sure of that. But can he be a productive back? Uh, absolutely, because like I said, he's got the pedigree, obviously playing in the SEC. That's the top conference in all of college football. So we know that he's battle-tested on that front. I just think it's going to be very difficult to be able to duplicate or should I say replace the product, the productivity that Josh Jacobs had last year, a masterful year, led the league in rushing. And I think that without the rate, without the Raiders having him in the fold, he will be sorely missed. Even though Zamir, right to your point, I think that he definitely uh, has a lot of, he has a lot of ability. Dan, let me ask you this. When and how did we get here with this running back position when we began to devalue it? You say when and how do we get to this position? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking uh, at DA. You got to this position when y'all started giving quarterbacks 40, 50 million a year that are not Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, uh, Pat Mahomes, or any other elite level quarterback. That's how you got to this to this position because that eats up so much of the cap. Obviously, now it's guess what? Is it a running league or a passing league, DA? Okay, Stan, let me – okay, it is a passing league, but let me ask you this, though. So many quarterbacks now, Stan, obviously they can pass, but they can also run. Mm -hmm. So how much has that hurt the running back position as well? I think that's hurt it to a great deal. I just think that it's now a passing league. It's now a league that these, the, 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 the rules are geared toward the offense. You can barely touch the receiver. Now, you remember back in the days when Ronnie Lott and people like that, Lester Hayes, were, you know, uh, were roaming the secondary. Now, you'd get kicked out of the league for some of the hits that Ronnie Lott was putting on people as far as just being simply physical or the John Lynch's of the world, the Brian Dawkins of the world. You simply would be kicked out of the league. So now it's an offensive league. It's all about the pass. It's all about the RPO, the read run action, things like that. So all of that in totality, along with the quarterback position now being deemed as even more of the most important position on the football field. And now quarterbacks, I mean, if you exhibit a beating pulse, DA, if you exhibit a beating pulse as the starting quarterback for the team that drafted you, you're going to get at least $40 million a year. So you're going to take up a lot of the cap. That's number one. And because it's about the past, think about it. what are the top four positions that are paid 
the quickest and the highest right now? Quarterback. Person to throw, the person that throws the ball. Catches it. The person that catches the ball. The person, the person that person protects that, it on the left the side. Person that, yeah, the person that protects the guy who throws the ball. On the defense side of the ball, the person that can pressure the guy that catch, that throws the ball. And then, oh, yeah, there's that one position. I forget the name of it. They have to cover the guy who catches the ball. Those are the top positions that are being paid because it's all about the pass. So when you factor all of that in, it's not completely daunting that the running back position has been devalued. Now, I definitely think it's being devalued much more than it should because when you look at teams in the playoffs, look at the Super Bowl, you still got to be able to run the ball. You still got to be able to ice the game. You still got to be able to pick up those tough yards, third and three, pick up that first down at a crucial point within the game. I just think that in totality, that's what's come of it. And I think that the more and more that the growing sentiment is, I need to have a franchise quarterback to be able to win a Super Bowl or to be able to contend for one. When you and I both know it's only about eight of them on the planet, but many teams will try to anoint somebody as their franchise quarterback, and they're not worth a damn. So when you factor all that in, it's not completely flabbergastingly confusing as to why the running back position has been devalued to where it is. Yeah, I wonder how much analytics plays into it as well, Stan. And then I kind of go back to the late 90s, early 2000s with all those Denver Bronco teams and Mike Shanahan. It seemed like Mike Shanahan, you know, whoever he Landis in, Gary, right? Mike I mean, Anderson, right. Clint Portis, yes. Terrell Davis, <laughs> on and on. Tatum Bell. Yes, Stan, exactly. You named them all. Absolutely, 100%. So, Stan, let me ask you this. You're a defensive coach at the University of Houston. How does your staff view the running back position? Is the running back by committee or what do you guys do? Oh, I mean, it's just simply just, you know, I think that uh, in totality, I think just in all of college football, a lot of times teams are looking at just more so from a committee standpoint. And I'm talking about just like throughout the entire landscape of college football. And I think that obviously you still have your stud running backs, but with the RPO, the read option, all, you know, the, uh, the, the zone read, all of that. It's just so much more effective to have two to three guys. One guy could be a change of pace. One guy's a bruiser to have more of a committee. That's just something that uh, you're seeing pretty much every team within the landscape of college football, NFL, even high school that are taking on that type of mindset. All right. I want to go to the other side of the ball now. Stan, the Raiders recently signed cornerback Marcus Peters. It's reportedly a one-year deal. He spent last year with the Baltimore Ravens. He's an Oakland native. He burst onto the scene with the Kansas City Chiefs earning Defensive Player of the Year honors. Stan, your thoughts on this signing? I mean, we are desperately need some help on that side of the football at that position. Well, I'll tell you what. One, what is one thing that the Raiders secondary has struggled to, to be able to acquire over the last several years? Stan, I think they have a combined 12 interceptions in the last two seasons. What is Marcus Peters' greatest attribute? Uh, he is a ball hawk early in his <laughs> career. Early in his career, Stan, he was a ball hawk, no doubt. Yes, yes. At 30, no. at 30, I'm asking you, how much does a guy like that have left in the tank, do you think? I think, he's st- I think he still can be a productive starter. Maybe not a Pro Bowl-level player. Maybe, obviously, not an All-Pro. And like I said, I would love to be pleasantly surprised and proved wrong. But I think right now, at this juncture in his career, he still can be a productive starter. There's no doubt about that. Now, like I said, him playing at the elite level, where I believe his first three years in the NFL, I think he had like 20 interceptions or something like that. He's probably not playing at that level anymore, but definitely can be a productive guy. 
You know, the Raiders are thin at that position. Nate Hobbs, I feel like, is going to start in the slot. Duke Shelley, perhaps at one uh, outside cornerback position. Stan, I was listening to J.J. Watt today. He was on the Dan Patrick Show, and he said this. He said, after the quarterback position, cornerback is the toughest position in football. Do you agree and why? Uh, I mean, you say that like J.J. Watt gave breaking news. <laughs> Yeah, but I could say I could say maybe the left tackle might be the toughest position in football. Maybe wide receiver. I mean, maybe something on the defensive line. So tell me why. Oh, because you have to be you have to truly be remarkable on all levels. And I remember I saw a post on Instagram maybe about a couple couple days ago, and it's like. At the line of scrimmage, you have to be a boxer because you got to be able to get hands on the receiver. Then you have to be able to be a sprinter and run with the receiver stride for stride. Well, now the ball's in the air, so now you got to be acrobatic, almost like you're a high jumper uh, doing field events and track and field, and you got to be able to do all of this wrapped into one on just one simple play. And then also, if you get beat, you got to be you got to be a great therapist and just simply put it at your brain before the next series comes and they go at you again. So it's definitely probably the toughest position to play in the NFL outside of quarterback. I can make plenty, uh, plenty. I can make plenty arguments that it's even tougher than quarterback because the quarterback knows what everybody's doing on the offensive side of the ball as a defender, as a DB. I'm reacting to you. I don't know where you're going as a receiver. I got to react to you. So just logistically, I'm always going to be a step late because I'm mimicking what I see you do. But uh, to JJ's point, it definitely is uh, the toughest position outside of quarterback because of everything that's put on you from a physical standpoint, but also the mental being able to go ahead, turn the page, forget that last play, and then come back and make another big one and go ahead and try to help your team win. Dan, how has the position evolved since you were in the NFL playing for the Raiders, or has it? Oh, it definitely has, and I think that uh, it's all about the explosion of the spread offense because what happens is, and even back when I was coaching high school ball, because everybody's running four and five wide, well, you don't really have four or five DBs that can cover man-to-man, so what's your next bet? Your next best bet, go to zone coverage. So what happens is, Kids are playing a lot more zone coverage, middle school, high school, college. And then what happens, they get to the NFL and they've been playing predominantly zone throughout high school and college. Well, now all of a sudden it's a big third down play in, let's say, week eight, the middle of November to try to go ahead and ice a game on third and seven. And they look like a fish out of water because they've been playing a lot of zone. So it's evolved to the point of you can't touch the receiver like you used to. Obviously, the rules are geared simply just to the offense side of the ball. It's a landslide. And now with receivers running more and more routes that you don't really see on the proverbial route tree. Like, you remember that game last year with the Indianapolis Colts and the Minnesota Vikings where the Colts were up, I think, 30-3, to and somehow, way, Minnesota comes back. And there was a touchdown that Justin Jefferson ran, and it was a great route on Stephon Gilmore, one of the best to ever do it. And... Justin Jefferson ran a pivot, but he faked the pivot and then flew back out. And just it's just little it's just little routes like that, little nuances that as a DB you got to cover that, and it's so difficult. And so it's just it's evolved because of the offenses are evolving. 
Now you're seeing guys that are running routes that look like you drew them up in the dirt. It's like Sandlot football, except it's being played on an NFL stadium. So as a DB, it definitely is harder now than ever to play the position at a high level. Dan, I want to go back to the running back position just for a moment. If you had a good running back on your team, University of Houston, and he came up to you and said, Coach, I need your advice. I'm not sure if I could play at the next level at running back, and I want to switch to wide receiver because I, I think I got a better chance at a longer career in the NFL. What would you tell him, Stan? Uh, I would tell him to give it some serious thought. I mean, obviously, if he has a if he has the ability to play receiver, then uh, it, it, it would be a smooth transition. But I, I, I'm of the mindset that you know, I think you gotta you have to own your own destiny. You have to be you have to be very intentional. And I look at guys like. Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is the highest paid running back in the NFL because Christian McCaffrey is very versatile. He's a good running back, obviously, but you know what? He can catch the ball out the backfield. You can line him up, have him go ahead and, and, uh, and create a mismatch versus a, a, a linebacker or even a safety. Derrick Henry, obviously, he's been paid not probably as much as he would want to, but he's been paid handsomely. And he, just like his name on Instagram, King of Mammals, he's 6'4", 240, and runs a 4'4". And I think that when you see certain guys, like, look at Ezekiel Elliott. And, you know, everybody got on him about, about holding out before Dak got his deal way back in, I think, 2019. And you clearly see why he did it. Because he knew, man, if I go ahead and I just let my contract run out, they're going to pick up my fifth year. They can franchise me for two more. I'll be going into year eight before I can actually hit free agency and get a long-term deal. And obviously he wanted to make sure that he got that when he knew he was at his highest to be able to get it because you go ahead and try to wait it out and do the right thing. You see what's happening right now, Saquon Barker. You see what's happening with uh, Josh Jacobs. Obviously with Tony Pollard, he broke his leg or should I say broke his foot in that playoff game against the 49ers. So he was happy to sign that franchise tender. And I think that, um, I just think that when you really look at it in totality, yeah, you can go to receiver, but if you're not somebody that can create separation, if you're not somebody that can go out there and be a top guy, you'll be facing the same battles, maybe not from being devalued from your position. You just may not be thought of highly of in your position to receive a big payday. So I think that there are certain parameters, there are certain pitfalls, and no matter what choice you make, but I definitely can see that right now, especially like in high school, kids are gravitating more toward that wide receiver position than they are running back simply because they see the contracts that the Tariq Hills are getting paid. They see the Devontae Adams of the world. Who knows what Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase are going to get when their time is up. So that you're definitely seeing a lot more kids that are gravitating to the receiver position, even, even as early as middle school and high school. Final topic, Stan. Give me your one storyline, whether it's the Raiders or in the entire NFL that you're watching closely during training I would camp. probably go with the New York Jets. Uh, everybody's been throwing bouquets of flowers at them all offseason. Obviously, they had a good year last year on the defense side of the ball. What did they finish? Seven and ten. I think they lost like their last six games yeah. or something like that. So everybody believes, okay, you know what? They're a quarterback away. Okay. You got your quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, Hall of Famer, no doubt about that. My draft class, so you know I ride with him. But it's not always the same to duplicate that great defense because now 
offensive coordinators are in the lab. They're in the dark room every day looking at your defense, trying to figure out, okay, how do they play the scheme they play? What are the holes? How can I attack them? And I think that with so many expectations that have been now placed on the New York Jets, being thought of as a Super Bowl contender, most of the time, not always, most of the time, you look at teams that have a lot of hype coming in, and it's not based on last year's performance. Everybody's got a lot of ex- expectations of Chiefs because they won the Super Bowl last year. But when you see teams that put certain pieces in place, acquire certain guys, and now the hype train is very high on them, even though they haven't played a down of football together, oftentimes, more often than not, you see them underwhelmed and simply fall short of the expectations than you see than you see them meet them. Yeah, the Raiders will get a first-hand look at the Jets at home. I believe that game is November the 12th, and it might yeah. even be Sunday night. It might be uh, an NBC game. I'm going to stay closer to home, Stan. I'm going to go with Hunter Renfro. And, you know, he admitted recently he was miserable last year. I mean, his role was smaller than injuries yeah. forced him. I think he missed seven games. He had yep. maybe 35 catches. Um I'm looking for him to bounce back. I mean, two years ago, Stan, I, I would make the argument. He was one of the top wide receivers in our game. I mean, Absolutely. 103 receptions, over 1,000 yards, and then nine touchdowns. He's been the There's been trade rumors uh, swirling him around him. So I'm hoping that you know he can have a big bounce back year. I know they selected the slot receiver, Trey Tucker. They brought in DeAndre Carter and Philip Dorsett in free agency for a reason. But Stan, I mean, two years ago, this guy was Mr. Third Down. First in Renfro, didn't we call him that? Yep, that's what we called him. Uh, we did. So, Stan, let me ask you this, and, and and I wonder about this sometimes, and I think about Bill Belichick, and I even go back to Don Shula, how those guys always would adjust to the talent that they had on their roster. And sometimes I feel like coaches will, you know what, this is how this is what my philosophy is, and my players are going to adjust to that. And, and don't you want to look at what you have personnel-wise and make the adjustment that way than the other way around? How do you see it? As once a player and now a coach. Say that one more time. I want to make sure I heard you correctly. So I look at like guys like Bill Belichick, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I'm going to go back as far as Don Shula. They will yep. adjust to what their roster says, what they ever have. Yes. That's how they will game plan. I mean, you look at Miami, they were a running team. Dan Marino gets there. All of a sudden, they're a pass-happy team. I look at Bill Belichick. He's like a chameleon. His game plan changes from week to week. Week to week. Player, player to player. So I'm wondering, Josh McDaniels comes in and says, Okay, everybody, you're going to adjust to my scheme. You're going to do things my way. Instead of, I felt like, instead of him looking at my roster, what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses, when Hunter Renfro was one of your strengths, but then last year he had such a down year. Is it, is it the responsibility of the coach to adjust to his roster? Does the roster have to adjust to the coach? Is it a combination of both? You've been a player. You're now a coach. How do you see it? I think it's a combination of both. I think ultimately as a coach, I think that you have to make sure that even though you have your own scheme that you run and that you you prefer, you still have to lean to your personnel because if you're a guy that simply likes to run the run and shoot offense and you don't really have the receivers to employ that, then you know what? You got to be a little bit more ball control. You got to be a little bit more run game oriented, things like that. And I think that uh, sometimes coaches sometimes can get in their own way because they want to force this square peg in the round shaped hole. And that's not how you coach. If you want to, if you want to have a certain type of team, I get that. Everybody does. But if that's not what your personnel can be best at, 
that's not what that's not what will help them be in the best position to be successful for your team to win then i think it's a fool's errand to just sit up there and be so rigid where this is my way and you have a group of guys that are not able to perfect what your way is you got to be able to adapt and that's why we that's why you see the don shrewas of the world the bill belichicks are the winningest coaches in nfl history because they have that operative word that is so difficult to achieve in the nfl and that's called adapt dan is it ego is that what gets in the way a lot of these coaches who aren't successful a lot of it is ego. And then also a lot of guys are, are just rigid because you can be a, you can be a, a defensive coordinator. And let's say you are more of a three, four guy, but you have the personnel that's four, three. You got you got good defensive ends that you can put out there in nine techniques and get after the passer to be a three, four defense. you got to have a nose guard who can command a double team like an Aaron Donald. You have to have really, really good outside linebackers that can go ahead and get after the quarterback because of the way it's schematically set up. But if you have the t- a defense that is better suited at running the four, three, then you know what? You better learn how to run the four, three defense, because a lot of guys, if that's their bread and butter, they simply aren't that oriented. They don't have that much experience in the other type of schemes. And so I think it's ego, but also a lot of guys, they get so fixated on what they do best. They don't really pay attention to other schemes. They don't pay attention to other ways to skin the cat. And oftentimes it comes back to bite them in close games and in big times in the season. Good stuff, my man. The first podcast of the training camp for 2023. I mean, the season's just right around the corner. The first Preseason game is on Thursday, the Hall of I Fame know. game. Hall I of mean, Fame game. Good Lord. <laughs> Unbelievable. It seems like it just ends. There's yep. depression. Then all of a sudden, hey, we're back. And that long off season, it seems like it went by so fast. And here we are. Great stuff as always, my man. Looking forward to a great season with you. And likewise, my man. Can't wait. All right, Raider Nation. That's going to do it for this edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by betonline.ag. For my partner, Stanford Rapp, I'm Dennis Ackerman. May all your punts Find the coffin corner. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.